Welcome to Techno, where Sophos experts explore, explain, and hopefully help you to understand the often baffling world of computer security. Techno is presented by me, Paul Ducklin. And me, Chester Wisniewski. And today's topic is ransomware. Chester, I'll, I'd like to follow our usual format of just starting with the what it is, how it works, and most importantly, how it gets into your network, and finish up with what you can do about it. So I'll start with a definition, if I may. I understand it generally uh, as malicious software that locks you out of your computer or your files and demands money to let you back in. So that's the general theme. But there are actually two different major flavors of ransomware, aren't there? Yes, uh, I think the ransomware that most people have run into uh, does take on one of kind of two modes. The main two types would be the screen locker ransomware, uh, where it has a tendency to pretend to be some sort of law enforcement authority and pretty much prohibits your computer from doing anything other than paying the ransom. Uh, and the other type, of course, is cryptoware or crypto ransomware, where it's actually encrypting your files the same as you might intentionally do to protect them, except in this case, it's for the crooks to keep them away from you. So in one case, all your files are intact and your computer's running, but you can't use it. In the other case, your computer's running fine and you can do what you like. It's just that your files are garbage unless you buy the key back from the crooks. Precisely. Now, the two ransomware names that many people will have heard of are Reviton for the screen locking sort and Crypto Locker for the cryptoware or the encrypting sort. How long have they been going on and how much of a problem are they? Because what you hear is people say, oh, you know, the Reverton gang, they, they were shut down. Crypto Locker guys got caught. It's all over. But that's far from the truth, isn't it? Well, that's right, Paul. I mean, the, the Reverton gang and Crypto Locker gang may, in fact, have uh, ceased operations personally in, in playing with this type of ransomware to make profit. But what they did was they proved a new business model. And now that the idea is sort of out there that you can do this and that people will pay, lots of other criminal gangs have kind of taken up the mantle. So the Reviton stuff, that's where, oh, you know, the police have found that you've got copyrighted material and I've frozen the computer and you have to pay a fine, as it were. Those go for about 200 bucks, don't they? And the crypto locker, where it's actually scrambled your files and you can buy them back if you like, um, those tend to go for around 300 and that seems to be the price point where the crooks can squeeze people enough that it's actually kind of worth their while to pay up, almost cheaper than trying to find someone who knows how to fix the problem. Yeah, we've seen the criminals fluctuate the price uh, trying to find that sweet spot. When I first started looking at these, they were typically around $100. And then, you know, before you know it, it was 200 and then it was 300 then it was 350 and then it was 400 and then they seem to have come back down to around 300. So they kind of tested the market, I think, to see what percentage of victims would pay up. And when they went too far, they just backed off a little bit so they can maximize their profits. It's an irony, isn't it, that the first ransomware I remember ever looking at was back in about 1989. No, it was a bit 1990. Uh, the guy started his operation in 1989, a guy called Dr. Joseph Pop. Um, and he mailed out floppy disks with an encrypting Trojan on it. After three months, if you hadn't paid a fee for his software, he scrambled your disk and he wanted $378 uh, sent to Panama. Um, but I guess it was much harder to, to organize money in those days. 
because now it's all done via things like bitcoins and uh, prepaid credit vouchers, isn't it? Like money pack. Yeah, we primarily see uh, the the criminals using uh, things that they don't have to have, say, a registered account where they can be tracked down in order to process the money. Uh, you know, in past scams like uh, fake antivirus, for example, we used to see they had to take MasterCard and Visa, which uh, one allowed for law enforcement to be able to kind of crack down on it to a degree, but it also led to some traceability. So, you know, using these anonymous cash payment systems that you might get at a convenience store for people to pay their bills or purchase something online or using, you know, cryptocurrency like Bitcoin seems to be the preferred way to stay anonymous for the crooks. And in the same way that the advance fee fraudsters like to use wire transfer like Western Union, these guys, again, they're using payment methods that are not only largely anonymous, they can't be reversed, can they? No, once the, once the money's been spent, it's sort of done. And that's uh, also very challenging for the victims because there's really no ability to recover cash or, and there's really not even anyone to complain to. Although, encouragingly, companies like uh, Green Dot, who issue the money pack cards, have put prominent warnings on the packaging to explain to people that this is often used in scams. And if you've been asked to pay a fine on the internet, that you shouldn't remit the money. But of course, with the encrypting ransomware, like CryptoLocker, you are pretty much sunk, aren't you? There's no shortcut. You can't get your IT savvy chum to come round and work out the password and decrypt. The crooks got the crypto right. Yeah, not in every single case, but in the vast majority of the modern ransomware, they are using precisely the same techniques we use to protect people's hard disks. So uh, in that type of situation, you can understand how someone might be compelled to pay a few hundred dollars in order to get their important either corporate files back or perhaps even the videos of their child's first steps or something like this, right? Yes. Now, with the, the screen locking ransomware, usually that can be fixed by hand, can't it? Because if you can boot your computer, say, off a Linux recovery boot, like Sophos Bootable Antivirus, then you can bypass Windows and go in and remove the offending files. In other words, you bypass the lock on your computer, but you can't bypass the lock on your files because only the crooks have the key. That's correct. I mean, while it's possible that there's cryptographic uh, implementation flaws that the criminals have made to recover files in certain versions of ransomware that's out there, the vast majority of them actually seem to be using things like Microsoft's crypto API. So it's not even their encryption code where they can make a mistake as much as uh, they're using the cryptographic operations supplied by the operating system vendor. So this whole thing with ransomware, particularly the encrypting sort, really cries prevention is way, way, way better than cure, as always, doesn't it? So how does this stuff get in in the first place? If you wanted to avoid getting infected by CryptoLocker, obviously an antivirus that could block it just before it ran would be great, but it has to sort of reach your computer in the first place. So how do you stop it even earlier than actually relying on your antivirus stopping it at the last moment? Well, the two primary methods we're seeing people being targeted with this uh, ransomware is through poisoned attachments and pre-existing malware infections. So when you get these emails proclaiming to be an invoice from a shipping company or an airline and this type of thing, you know, just open up the attachment to see information about the package you're about to receive or the, the very high sum that you just paid for this airline ticket. And then, of course, some sort of a, a booby-trapped attachment that has the malware inside of it. Uh, the other type is the pre-existing malware infection type, which basically 
a lot of these crooks will sell on your computer to other crooks. So you may get infected with, say, a banking trojan like Game Over Zeus. And then that criminal will lease your computer to other criminals, basically, and say, hey, for a fixed fee, I'll install additional malware on these uh, victims' computers, which may include things like crypto locker, crypto wall, crypto fence, etc. Actually, it's almost worse to have had the bot, isn't it? Because at least with the ransomware, I'd say at least, it's kind of pretty obvious what it's done. And it hasn't stolen any data. It's just scrambled it and now is, is trying to extort money for the key. Whereas the thing that got it there in the first place is malware that could have done almost anything on your computer and probably did. Well, not just your computer, but your neighbors, your friends, your community's computers as well. I mean, uh, you know, when we talk about things like distributed denial of service attack, in essence, your computer's being used to inflict harm on others. So not only could this have stolen your files, scrambled your files, deleted your files, and you may not even know what they've looked at or touched. On top of that, you also might be used to attack other people. Okay, so the obvious things that we're going to be cautious about unsolicited attachments, we should get serious about malware that we might otherwise think, oh, I've got a zombie on my computer, I'll kind of fix it tomorrow. Could be too late by then. What are the other things that you can do that will give you a bit more vigor against something like crypto ransomware if the worst should happen? What other preventative steps can you take now so that even if you do get hit, you can actually minimize the harm that it can do to you and perhaps other computers on your network? Well, I think the most important thing that comes to mind for me is proper permission controls on both your, your own PC, but also any kind of network shares. Uh, many of us are using network-attached storage uh, in our own homes for sharing files amongst our family members, in addition to, of course, at work, where we map drive letters to, you know, uh, usually, you know, some sort of organizational group that we work within, you know, the finance share or the engineering share out on the network. Not having more privilege than you need is essential. If you think about ransomware trying to encrypt any kind of files it can find, and it will thoroughly go through your computer and any kind of things that you have a, a connection or access to, if you were logged in as an administrator and had access to everything, you would lose everything. And so one of the preventatives, I think, is to make sure you've only got access to what you should have access to. Okay, so let's just clear that up. When malware like CryptoLocker or, or, or CryptoWall triggers, it doesn't just go for your C drive. It goes for any drive it can find. So if you've got a removable drive plugged in at that time, bad luck. If you've got a phone mounted as a drive, bad luck. And if you've got the finance share mounted, because you were just going to put the final touches to the uh, pay plans for next year, bad luck it's going to be able to reach out and write to those files because anything you can see and write to, it can because it's running as you, isn't it? Exactly it. And, and you know, folks need to remember that the convenience of administrative access is also very convenient for the criminals. Um, one of the malware control panels I was investigating recently very prominently showed right in the display whether the user logged in was an administrator because I think that's a a higher value victim for the criminal. I guess the other thing to remember is that if ransomware can write to files out in the finance share uh, when you're logged in, then it's almost certain that a data stealing Trojan or malware would be able to read those files and could then extract the data and exfiltrate it and send it off to the crooks, which in many ways for an organization is actually worse than having the file wiped out. One hopes you have a backup somewhere that you could recover from. If someone actually steals that file by reading it, you've still got a copy you might never know. 
Oh, that's true. And I'm glad you mentioned backups as well, because a lot of people are using some sort of a uh, synchronization tool uh, as a backup solution. They're synchronizing a folder to the cloud, or they're synchronizing a folder to a removable hard disk. And of course, the problem there is you end up synchronizing the encrypted file if it's one of the ones that's been victimized by something like CryptoLocker. So a proper backup that is not connected to your computer is an essential part of a strategy for protecting your data as well. That's a really good point, Chester, because I think people fall into the trap of going, well, if there's a copy in the cloud, there's a copy on my iPhone, there's a copy on my laptop. That's three copies. Doesn't that count as a backup? But if they're all simply designed to be the same file, and that's actually the feature you're buying into when you use that cloud service, that's a different sort of convenience to backup, isn't it? Right. And I mean, I guess that's why they call it Dropbox, not Drop Backup. I mean, yes. they're really two separate types of things. Um, so what's your recommendation for somebody who wants to do a backup at a point of time where they're pretty certain everything's okay and there's no malware? Well, I have two different approaches that I use myself. All the operating systems that I utilize all have a, a built-in backup tool. So I use that and, and, and take those off-site. And then in between, I use a, a cloud service as well. And there are cloud-based backup services that you can automate on your PC. And so I have one that uh, once a week, uh, you know, takes all the difference and changes since the last one and puts them up in the Amazon cloud. But I, I, I don't rely on just one thing because uh, I've, I've made all the mistakes you can make in the past of destroying my own data. So always having an extra copy around is a good thing. It's really important to remember that there are many other ways of losing your data where there isn't somebody, even if it's a crook, who will sell you back the key to that data for any price. For example, if you drop your laptop over the side of a Sydney Harbour ferry, it's very unlikely you'll ever see it again. And if you do, it's reasonably unlikely that it will still be in any kind of a working condition. If you haven't got a backup, then there isn't even anybody you could pay that $300 extortion fee to. Well, and it's probably important to remind people as well that when they're making these backups, they should probably be sure they're encrypted, right? Because it is a copy of all of your sensitive information. And whether you're putting that into the cloud or onto a disk itself, uh, you want to make sure that only you're able to access that backup. So you're kind of uh, taking a page from the crooks and protecting yes. your data, except you're doing it yourself <laughs> and you're keeping the keys for yourself. As soon as you started saying that, I thought, gosh, isn't that an irony? Yeah, precisely. It's all, it's just that one small little detail. The encryption is good. It's just a matter of who owns the keys. So to summarize, Chester, it really is that prevention is better than cure. And if you can't prevent, then some kind of investment you've made in advance, for example, in a backup, can really help you because it means you don't need to get into bed with the crooks and send them this money. But unfortunately, at least with the crypto locker guys, they sort of ended up with a reputation that if you paid, you almost certainly would get your data back. So how do you balance that convenience of, well, maybe I'll just pay the 300 bucks against I'm going to take this on the chin and, and try and do without having to aid and abet this criminality, as it were? Well, I think that's up to the individual to figure out for themselves. It's a very challenging thing. Uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of victims that have said, I don't really care, you know, how much money it is. I'm not funding a criminal. They've taken my things and they're making me mad and I'm not going to cave and I'll just deal with the consequences and lose access to my files or I'll go back to that backup I made, that kind of thing. And I've heard the opposite arguments as well. I've heard even from you know, corporate IT departments saying, the price of the ransom is less than the cost of us actually restoring the files and cleaning the computer, which I find a bit absurd because, again, knowing that so many times that the machine was infected because it was already infected, 
probably means you need to spend that time anyway cleaning up that computer. But, you know, every organization or person has to kind of make that decision for themselves. And as you say, I think we need to encourage our listeners to not fund that criminality and and certainly um, be strong about that. But on the other hand, uh, if it's the only copy of something you have and it's that important to you, it's a personal decision, I think, in the end. So Chester, I think that's a great place to end. I would like to give a quick summary and see if I've left anything out. Your best countermeasures for ransomware uh, specifically and for malware attacks in general are going to be an anti-malware program that can hopefully block the thing before it runs in the first place. Perhaps stronger attachment filtering, maybe be a bit stricter on that. Some kind of web filtering uh, that if you get infected with malware that stops it calling out. Watch out for things like being administrator unnecessarily and for needless write access to parts of your network. And as we've elucidated fairly clearly, off-site backups, encrypted, regularly made, not just synchronizing to the cloud. How does that sound as an anti-ransomware set of measures? I think that is exactly what the doctor ordered. In that case, Chester, I'll say to everybody, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are plenty more at soundcloud.com slash security. For the latest security news, you can go to nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And until next time, stay secure. Mm-hmm.